Welcome back to Speaking of Startups. We are very excited today to welcome Chance from Go Now to the podcast. Chance, we've got a we got a full 50 minutes ahead of us. We're going to dive into a little bit about you. We're going to dive into a little bit about the business. Before we do all of that, I just wanted to say that for the first time ever, you can see that we're recording at the Tabra Studios today. So thanks for coming in and joining me in a live session. Very excited about being back in a live format. So so let's get this thing kicked off. Thanks for having me today. Absolutely, man. So let's get let's get into the the nitty gritty of it and give us a little commercial, a little sixty second elevator pitch on on who Chance is. Yeah, so I'm a kid from a small town in Virginia, uh, Roanoke, Virginia. It's known as the Star City. I view myself as a star as well. <laughs> no, I'm just playing. <laughs> but yeah, I grew up in a household that was heavily focused around sports and education. While I hold that near and dear to my heart took a different route and ventured off into entrepreneurship. It started back from sixth grade all the way up until now with Go Now. So I'm here today and we're still alive, so I'm happy to be here. Alive is a good place to be. <laughs> so you specifically call out sixth grade. So let's let's go there really quick. What was the first taste? Yeah, so sixth grade, I was probably all of 4'11", 100 pounds. <laughs> but I was at a basketball camp and incomes a guy that I've never seen before because the the city's not but so big, especially if you, you play basketball and you're pretty decent. And yeah. I found out this guy, he had just moved here, and that guy is now my, my co-founder. So we, we met at a basketball camp and ended up bonding and having a deeper relationship even outside of the, the basketball camp, which led us down a path of <laughs> of so many different ventures That's throughout awesome. our lifetime. Yeah. So, so your basketball player growing up, you go to school. Where do you go to school? Yeah, so I went to Rafford University. Okay. To play basketball there. I drew a blank. I knew it yesterday. I've already forgotten. The mascot? It's Highlanders. The, <laughs> the, so go Highlanders. So you played basketball there? Yes, sir, I did. What was what's it, what's it like playing collegiate-level basketball? Yeah, so it's one of the tougher things to do because you're on the road and it takes up a majority of the year because it starts a little bit before the fall break and then it doesn't end until springtime yeah uh, if you're lucky enough you make it past spring break which is <laughs> tournament time we we're, never, yeah. we we're never lucky enough to get that far yeah but i mean during that time they're not handing out grades like they do at some schools i'm not gonna uh, <laughs> not gonna knock them down duke carolina yeah. whatever right yeah but, yeah but you do have to do a lot of your schoolwork. you have to learn how to communicate early and often so that that really helped me in the professional space being able to really lean in on my my name image and likeness before we could get paid for it yeah so i really had to talk to a lot of my professors counselors and and understand like what this path looked like and what this journey looked like going into the professional world so radford's not you know as you said it's not a school that perennially makes it to the to the dance right but that doesn't mean that you don't play against bigger schools you when our, our pre-podcast interview you were talking a little bit about the opportunity you had to play against kentucky what was that experience like for you uh it's almost like work walking into a, a circus and you've never seen an elephant before <laughs> so, yeah you walk into this arena and so you played at rupp arena we played at rupp arena yeah. uh, as soon as you get off the bus i think that's the most shocking thing so we played against a lot of other teams like penn state maryland there's a couple other big teams as well that we played against drawing a blank. But when you get off the bus there, there's nothing else to do in Lexington, Kentucky. So they're out there waiting for you as soon as you get off the bus. This is like two hours, three hours before the game. So they're like chanting and yelling at you early and often. And then when you get out there to shoot around, which is probably an hour before the game, they're yelling at you again. They're already in the arena. And then by the time the game starts, they have fireworks going off, cheerleaders everywhere. And then there's like an age group at the bottom, which is just like people probably in their 70s or 80s because yeah. they have legacy tickets there. So it's just like all older people right there. And then they have a student section. And then as you go up, you see the younger crowd. Well, in most arenas, they put the away team behind the, well, put the away team's family behind the bench. Yeah. But in Rupp Arena, they put them at the very top. So I was looking around for this little speck of red <laughs> and you could see like our family and they were like in the second level <laughs> up at the top. So it was very different. You have like zero support there other than 
your team and then uh, your coaches. Whistle blows, though. It's still basketball. Still basketball. How'd y'all do? We got crushed. Okay. <laughs> but it's still basketball. We missed a lot of shots. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so you go, amazing experience, right? I mean, to play on the collegiate level, to go places like Rupp Arena, even if you do get crushed, it's a, it's a neat experience to be, go, be able to go through yeah. as a kid. Yeah, no, definitely a neat experience. I think what made my experience a little bit different is I thought that I was going to do some form of coaching. And so what I would do is I would connect with all of the coaches, like right after the, the whistle blows and the game's over, I would connect with the coaches, I would connect with the players. And I've always been like that. Yeah. That was kind of frowned upon back back in our day because yeah. it was just competitive on and off the court. But I just was on, on the bus a little early. It's like, hey, let me try to connect with you. Let me get your Facebook. Yeah. So did you connect with Calipari? <laughs> yeah, I connected with him. I connected with a couple of other coaches that were there. And I haven't talked to them in a long time. Yeah. But again, it was a good time to try to draw a connection so calipari's not a regular commenter commenter on your facebook page <laughs> no not at all i don't even think i have my facebook anymore. <laughs> good stuff so anyway so you go through school and i mean that takes up between schoolwork and being a collegiate athlete takes up the vast majority of your time what do you do when you get out of school chance yeah so i started working at uh, a little company at the time called red ventures which is now pretty large I uh, was there, I did some sales, and then I was in uh, SEO, did marketing for them. Okay, when was that? Give us a little time frame. So that was in 2012 to 2014 or 15. So massive growth stage for Red Ventures during that time period, right? Massive. And it was cool because there was still a little piece of basketball because that was during the lockout. So you have every NBA player and guys I played against a long time ago walking in to work out, but you're, you're like walking into the office, Yeah, which is pretty pretty cool that you can... Because I forget, I forgot they put in the basketball court down there at the Red Ventures place, right? So yeah. you really did get a chance to play with them. So that was pretty fun. So learning experience at Red Ventures. So, I mean, you're coming out of school. Um, you've played in places like Rupp, Rupp Arena. You've done all kinds of cool stuff from a collegiate perspective as well as taking class, which is also obviously super cool. But what was the learning experience? What do you take away from your time at Red Ventures? Yeah, so I think that's where I started to flip the hat from working out for sports and transitioning that to the professional world. So the same way I'd wake up at 5 a.m. to go work out, I was like, let's wake up at 5 a.m. and learn something. And I was doing that in college, but in a, just in a different manner. I was doing it in the evening. But in the professional world, it was like, this basketball stuff is going to be only with the CEO and the <laughs> everybody else you wanted to play at lunchtime. Outside of that, you probably wouldn't catch me dribbling or shooting. But I would, I'd wake up early and try to learn something new. And just from there, just that work ethic, I just think I built that. I already had that, but just kind of baked it into the professional space and was always in a, in a mood to just learn more. So the discipline as an athlete would probably be fairly easy for some folks to lose because it's finally like, oh, I can exhale I don't have to do it. You kept the discipline and just channeled it in a different path and said, well, if I was successful in the basketball court, this is the best way to be successful as a professional as well. Yeah, I, I think you can't, you can't beat the work. You put in the work and the work shows. Yeah. So it's so Red Ventures, you're doing that. Biggest takeaway, biggest lessons learned from Red Ventures? I would say that... Besides work ethic. I would say the biggest takeaway for me was just the scalability. Like I've never seen something scale that fast. And so I always honed in on that because we were at the time uh, working on a few other ventures like on the side. And I was just like putting that in my pocket. Like, okay, how did they go from one team member to 10? Like how did they go from two to 20? And just, I had a lot of notes when I was, when I was working there and I just took those notes with me and was like, all right, this is how I think we can do some of these things. Okay. So great learning experience. So you go from Red Ventures. What's next? Yeah. So then I'll jump into the talent acquisition space. Okay. Uh, totally different field. Um, uh, impetus for change, right? Yeah. There's always a reason for change. Yeah. Sometimes it's money. Sometimes yeah. it's just growth. Yeah. And so the initially the first thing was money, if I'm just being honest. But what com what came from that was that I learned how to build teams. So it went from building out like technology teams in the software space to hardware to executive teams. And through that process, 
I really started to understand what my passion was for people. So talking about earlier about just connecting with, with people on and off the court, I think it was the same thing in that field as well. And I was like, I actually care about what happens to these people. Yeah. And I want to get them a good opportunity. So you went from caring about Calipari to <laughs> Nobody cares about Calipari, right? <laughs> so you went from to to caring about the folks that you were trying to help place into different positions. Yes. So how long did you stay there? So I was there for I think three or four years in that space, and um, here in Charlotte as well. Yeah, here in Charlotte. So you've always since you moved from Red Venture. I've been yep. I've been here in Charlotte holding it down. <laughs> okay, holding it down. We need some folks to help hold down Charlotte. We run astray from time to time. Yeah. So. At what point, so, I mean, oftentimes when we talk to founders, we realize that the idea came and it took a while for it to kind of build enough to the point where it became a viable idea. And then from a viable idea, it took even longer for them to get it to, to market, right? So at what point in time does the concept or the idea for Go Now start to, to bubble up in your life? Yeah, so... I think it related back to earlier in the story, and I kind of missed this, but my co-founder and I, so when we met in sixth grade, what we did is I went over his house for the first time, and he had a keyboard out and a, and a computer, and he was learning how to make beats and then also put a computer back together. Okay. From that time, I was like, as a young kid, I'm like, teach me. Yeah. And what he did is he was like, hey, man, this is like what I do. So he'd sit in that hot room and make up melodies and all this stuff. And he probably has thousands of beats that okay. he made. But I had my dad's football players and cheerleaders at his school. And I was like, hey, and we had some friends as well. We were like, hey, we, I think we can get these beats to some people. And so we attempted to do that. <laughs> and that was, that was fun for sure, just to see other people like, making songs on the beats that we had made. And yeah. I think even my co-founder, Ajalon, he, he made some songs as well. And from there, we're like, hey, well, let's actually like get this music in front of people. And we started like a little entertainment company when we got to high school. Okay, yeah. Which started out as us just like trying to get our music played at these parties that we were throwing for maybe 10 or 20 people in the first two or three parties. Yeah. And then I think it was that maybe that third or fourth party. And we were like, hey, let's get a bigger space. And it was the auxiliary gym at Roanoke College. Roanoke College. We marketed, we marketed on uh, MySpace had limited text, so we were calling house numbers. You name it, we were doing it. Yeah. And we ended up throwing what I would call a banger. Yeah. <laughs> we had probably about 400 to 500 high school students from surrounding high schools. That's crazy. That showed up, and we did that a couple times all the way up until when we were in college. Okay. So, first of all, I hadn't heard somebody say MySpace in probably 30 years, <laughs> so that's awesome. What would you, I mean, so I mean, that's a huge jump, right? You're going from hosting 10 to 20 people in a field somewhere. I can only think about Eastern North Carolina. We <laughs> join things in a field to four to 500 people in an auditorium. What did you learn then about gatherings and people and then and pulling them into it, right? Because at the end of the day, that's a sales job to get that many people into a location. And shoot, you're in high school. I think it was just being fearless at that age where I thought everybody liked me. I couldn't do wrong at all. Does so, not everybody, does everybody not still like you, Chance? <laughs> I, I hope so. <laughs> but no, I I think it was one of those things where, so it was three of us at the time, myself, my co-founder and I, and then one of our other friends, we used to call him Sticks. But he's, we call him this because he's a tall, skinny guy. He's probably about a foot taller than us. Okay. He still is. Yeah. And everybody knew us from playing basketball, obviously, yeah. but also we went to school, we went to three different schools. Okay. So we were able to leverage that. And there's probably about 15 to 16 high schools within that Roanoke Valley area. And with us being in the newspaper and all this, so when we reach out to someone or we post something, we already had some level of engagement. Yeah, And we just went kind of balls to the wall and we're like, hey, you should come, you should show up. And I think over time, it ended up getting a lot of people to, to show up. So you, you ran, how often did, you, did y'all did do those events during high school, right? Was that, I mean, I'm thinking every weekend, but so, probably not every weekend. No, this was like two times a year we'd okay. have it. So I would say there was a marketing push kind of yep. <laughs> prior to it. Um, but really, it was one of those things like that word of mouth just travels so so fast. When you are carving out a niche for an area where if you don't, excel in school or sports then you kind of fall to lesser things in life 
And we're like, let's create a safe space for people our age because we see how people are kind of veering off to the left or to the right. Let's keep people in a safe space. It's not going to be any like drugs or alcohol. It's just going to be fun dancing for four hours and we'll have a we'll have a great time. Show up when you show up when you can and, yeah. and leave when you want to. I'd say four hours, man. This this guy right here would have been there for about four minutes dancing. <laughs> that's all. That's all the moves I got. So anyway, so so y'all started doing that in high school. Your Red Ventures, you pick up, you lead Red Ventures, you go do talent acquisition. You're still kind of doing some of this stuff in the background? Yeah, so when I was in college, this is what got me to Charlotte. So I was working Del Curry's basketball camp. Okay. And I had come to Charlotte before for, like, tournaments, and, like, we played here in college as well, but really never got to experience Charlotte just, like, as a city. Yeah. And that's when the Epicenter was, like, a really good place to go to. And working Del Curry's basketball camp, a few of the counselors were like, hey, man, like, let's go out tonight. Yeah. I was like, all right, cool, let's go. So we ended up going to the epicenter, and I was like, oh, this place is crazy. You have restaurants, you have, like, bars, you have places you can go out, and it's all, like, in one, yeah. one, one-stop shop. And I was like, oh, I really like Charlotte. But what I did is the money that I made from going to, ba- like, working the basketball camps, yeah. I had a roommate at the time, his aunt and uncle, they managed a pretty large artist. That was that's globally known, and I had an opportunity to go on a few tour stops, and this is kind of what just launched me into the the music world and understanding what was going on in the industry, and really kind of sparked my interest overall because I always had a tie to music and just like how it evolved over time and innovation aspect of it. Yeah. But really, that what I thought was music was actually around experiences because I got to travel to places I had never been before and got to experience like this level of access that your everyday person doesn't get to experience. Okay. That, that artist, anybody by any chance dating a tight end from the Kansas city chiefs <laughs> no, right now? No, no, no. Okay. seems like that's the only artist that matters in the world right now. I know, right? I know. Yeah. She, she's awesome, but yeah, definitely was not her. Definitely not her. Okay. Fair enough. Um, so, so you're so you're doing that nights and weekends kind of this yeah side so type thing for you yeah kind of like on on the like weekend here and there like every every couple of months um, may get a call here and there um, but really what that did for me is just was like all right this is something that could potentially happen I didn't know what that looked like at all I didn't know if that was a internship I didn't know if that was a job opportunity that was coming down the road but my co-founder and I we kind of lost touch when we were in college just because he's at Wake Forest doing his thing and I was at Radford. And one day we just had a call with each other and he he picked up the phone and he was like, hey man, I have a friend who's out in California and he was talking to me about these house shows. And we just started talking. I was like, well, let me tell you about my experience. And so as we're sharing this, we're like, hey, let's let's actually start something. And at the time, my co-founder was working on another app. So I knew he was really into to coding at the time. That's so why I was like, hey, you just code. That's, yeah. that's, all, that's all I knew. I was like, yeah. oh, you can code. <laughs> I was like, yeah, well, with that coding thing you're doing, I think we can do something with, with what with what both of our experiences like lie with them. Yeah. And uh, we started an event production and like music booking company. Uh, and this was back in 2019. So that. what did it, did it have a name or was it at that yeah. point in time? So it was called Artist Pop-Ups. Okay. And... Uh, so the concept behind that is it's going to make sense, but I just want you to flush it out for me. Yeah. So like pop-up events, yep. <laughs> it's just like it sounds. Yep. But we did a lot of things across the country, sponsored some festivals. I had a chance to travel. And really what happened was that travel led to us just going personally to travel to other countries. So we spent time in Europe, spent time in South America. And what we noticed during this time is that there's a lot of different places that are similar to the states but the experience is way different so you may walk into a space it may smell a certain way they may have certain music that's in a certain place people may be speaking a certain language just the vibrancy in the atmosphere there it's like keeping you energetic it's almost like going into a casino in las vegas and they have the ac pumping and you're up all day like gambling yeah. that's not me at all but <laughs> i have some friends that like like to have fun but that right there is like, how do we create this in the States? And coming back to Charlotte, coming back to other cities in like Virginia where we were, Yeah. how do you create the same experience? And so that's what we were, were striving to do. So, I mean, you make a good point, right? Like we went to um, Ireland back in 2016 or something like that. It seems like every bar you go into in Ireland has a little three-man band popped up playing every single night, right? And it's just awesome to go into a space 
and have that experience uh, around your meal, right? And you come here to Charlotte, and I mean, you know, naturally, the only thing that you have, the experience is, is how many TVs do you have surrounding you to watch whatever worthless thing is on TV at that point in time. That's very true. So you, is that full time for you? Is the pop up thing full time in 2019, or is that still a side? Is that yeah. still a side? So it's it's becoming full time, but it's it's still it's still on the side. Still doing talent acquisition at this time as well too. But then our company was bought out by a private equity firm. Okay. And so I was kind of in the weeds on understanding like what was going on with the transition and finances. Pause real quick. Not your startup, not no, your pop up. No, no, no. Your no. talent acquisition. Talent acquisition. <laughs> yeah, no, pop up. <laughs> no, it was with the with the regular full time gig. Okay. So that was bought up in 2019, 2020, somewhere in that probably yeah, pre COVID because so, nobody was. Yep. Pre COVID. Yeah. And then COVID hit and started to get a little serious about just like what we were doing from that business standpoint. Yeah. But we honestly, I would just say we're not that organized going into that. We were kind of just validating different, different things that we were, were kind of toying with within that business. And we we're like, hey, let's actually move on from that and look at what our skill set is. So it's like, hey, you have an individual who is heavily tech-based, understands long-term vision strategy. You have another person that's in alignment with you on vision and strategy, but also can go out there and sell and get these partnerships. We have access to certain people. Like, how do we leverage these two things? And, and we just had a conversation. It was over a meal one day. And we're like, hey, man, like, do you understand, like, what we've been doing this whole time. It's like, we've had these amazing experiences and it's all based off of the spaces that we're in. It's like this ambiance. And how do we create this for other people? And that's what birth go now was just that conversation that we had. So when did you flip from pop up to go now? So this was like 2022. Okay. Um, so not March of 2020. No, not March okay, of 2020, so <laughs> but we looked, we looked at the environment overall. So you're looking at a post-COVID world. We're in the house. The digital age is going through the roof. You have millions of songs being streamed on a, on a monthly basis just on one streaming platform. You look at the in-person experiences. I mean, I was just dying to get out the house to do something. I can tell how many walks I went on. <laughs> I didn't even think I was going to be a walker. At, at this age, but, but Hey, here I am. I'm a walker now. <laughs> That's awesome. I love and, it. Yeah. So we were like, Hey, what we do is we actually help users of space, create the ambiance they want. And, and that's what go now is. And we're like, but we're going to start with musicians because this is what we know. This is in heavy demand. You looked at every article that was coming out around that 2022 time it was all talking about concerts and when these shows and ticket pricing going up and people are still paying for it. And again, that industry is so highly fragmented. You got two or three large players in the space, but then you also only have a few venues and you have a ton of musicians who are talented and capable. And what I knew from my background is that the tour life is hard. So you have somebody who's away from their family for a long time. They're not getting paid as much as you think. There's so many like inefficiencies within the process, uh, a lot of gatekeeping within that process as well. And it's like, how can we really democratize this space? And we were like, hey, where do people frequent most of the time? Work and home. That's where they spend their time. Well, let's give them an experience at those locations. So, so you, where did you, did you, so identify, I mean, it's a great concept, right? We're either nowadays unless you live in dc or new york or one of these other large markets it's working home right family work family work did you start off in one or the other or how did you start playing that marketplace about where we're where are we bringing the experience to yeah so we were like let's build some technology around this process and we launched an early mvp and the early mvp was focused on the consumer market we were okay. just like let's book it to people's homes yep we had a lot of success with that. I think we got into like 10 or so neighborhoods okay. early on here in the Charlotte area. Um, I call it the social mother who knows everyone. Yeah. She's like the trendsetter. Yep. And people reach out to her when they need something. And we were able to find those individuals um, early on. But that acquisition cost was a little high. Okay. And that was one of the big takeaways from all of our research. And we looked at what consumer behavior was in different markets. 
you look at Charlotte overall, we're known for like banking, finance, great city that's growing. But what that does from a experience level, it's more conservative in how they operate. It's like we go to work, we go home, go to the gym, and maybe we have fun one day on the weekend. Friday nights were date nights in Charlotte, so you probably only have one night to work with. Man, you just nailed Charlotte, didn't you? <laughs> Sundays used to be fun when the team was doing well. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, how do we get back to this? A new owner, but that's a different yeah. that's a different podcast topic, yes. Yeah. But yeah, that really got us to a stage where we were like, all right, we actually have something here. And we attacked that consumer market first. And that was that's kind of where we started. Well, the flip for us was we had to go back and look at the numbers. So we were looking at the numbers. We're like, yeah, we made some money, did well. Customers are happy, but are we listening to the customer? Yeah. And a lot of our customers, and I wouldn't say a lot, I'll put a number on it. It was 75% of them. They were working in a position where they could move the needle in their organization. And we're like, let's look at this this business atmosphere. People that are having home parties are naturally successful. And if they're successful, they're high enough up in an organization in order to move the needle at the office in a more substantial way than they can at the house. Exactly. And that's what happened to us. And we saw that there's a huge play in these organizations, these corporations, but it's not how music has historically been set in those settings where you look at like larger venues or corporate events. We're like, this is in an everyday atmosphere. If the company's having a breakout session, if there's like an offsite that they're having, if it's a social happy hour that they're having. And then a lot of the properties now, especially when you're closer to a city, they're mixed use. So you have retail at the bottom of these properties that are looking to drive sales, looking to boost engagement. And we're like, okay, I think we have something here. And okay. so going through that process taught us that one, that this is a revenue driver because teams are spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on engagement teams and, and events. And then you also have the utilization of the spaces that are on site. So how do you get businesses to stay in that site? How do you provide value for them? And we're like, we're the only people to do it. We have technology around it. Let's get people access to our service and see how they utilize it. Hopping the way back machine. So as y'all are going through that process and, and learning your target market, learning what really kind of essentially a pivot at that point in time, right? What are you leaning back on from your Red Ventures days as they scaled in order to help you navigate your own path forward as a business owner, founder? Yeah. So one was being a first mover in the space. So what I saw with like a lot of the early acquisitions that was happening at Red Ventures was like, I had never heard about the people that we were acquiring yeah. prior to, but they had built up their own community. And I was like, okay, let's actually build something that's similar to that, but in a consumer fashion. Let's do like a, a brand ambassador program. Okay. So we built a brand ambassador program that was built on what we call social influencers and not social media influencers, but social influencers. Okay. People that move the needle within the organization, people that move the needle within their community, yep. and people that just have a, a large presence that can communicate with a lot of people. And we had, I think it was like six or seven, and that enabled us to continue that same growth in the consumer market, but it was bleeding over into the, the B2B space where we were able to get into these organizations and, and companies. And from there, I was like, all right, this is actually, you use people to actually scale. You get people in the right position, they can scale it out for you. Yeah. So you're going through that process, right? You're You're pivoting. And so, but what you're creating along the way is you're creating a two-sided marketplace, yeah. right? So you've got to, you've got to pull the, at this stage of the ballgame, you got to pull the businesses or the office buildings, which I guess are businesses in and of themselves as well, the locations, you got to pull the locations onto the platform. And then secondarily, you've got to go out and convince artists to be on your platform as well, right? So yeah. we've talked a lot about we've talked some about the business aspect of it. How, how do artists perceive what you're building right now? Yeah. So that's a great, that's a great question. Um, I'm a going, podcast host. I'm supposed to have halfway decent questions, right? <laughs> so going back to my earlier experience, just working in music, being around it for so long, when I came to Charlotte, I immersed myself within that space early on. So a lot of people just knew me from, they may see me at a show, or I may be helping out an artist, I may be 
helping somebody with their management or with their deal, whatever it may be. And when we started this, I talked to probably the first 90 musicians. And to be honest with you, the first 15 or 20 were like, no, I don't, I'm not interested in that because you got to think about it. We're in an industry that has been take, take, take. You have an agency they're going to take from the artist. You have a manager that's going to take from the artist. Now, these these two positions are needed, but it depends on what level or also depends on what you need at that level. Uh, is this somebody who can add value to you currently? So a musician is coming into this saying, well, hey, what are you taking from me? Like, nothing. Like, I want to actually provide for you because I understand what we're doing in the space. And so as we continue to communicate with them more often and say like, hey, this is actually what we're doing for you all and try it out as well. That message started to spread to a lot of the other independent musicians. But our focus was on, again, going back to travel and going back to our experiences. You look at Charlotte, for example, I think there's more different like ethnicities and cultures that are moving to this city than there are in a lot of other cities. We have over 100 people a day moving here. Well, that means we got to create spaces and environments that are inviting for other people to, to join in. And we're like, well, let's go to these organizations that have this background and have these musicians who can get their sound out to other people. And so we work and partner with a number of organizations and they were able to refer musicians to our to our platform, which helped us build up that side of the marketplace. So <clears throat> how's the talent acquisition aspect of the business? What's what's the bigger challenge right now, I guess is the better way to ask it, right? Is it a is it pulling new locations on or is it pulling more artists on? Yeah, so it's actually neither. It's more so about getting people in place to be able to scale out the side of the, the business standpoint. So okay. really, I call it business development, but again, going out and continuing to blow up that side of the marketplace because it's not necessarily that, like what you're saying from a, a, a office building or a commercial property or mixed-use property. It's more so of the bars, breweries, restaurants that we have here yeah. have the opportunity, but again... Are we going to knock on every every door? Are we going to spend our time doing that? So, again, for us, it's like, where do we continue to spend our time at? What's going to give us that, that larger margin and enable us to scale to other other cities? So we look at businesses that have more than three, two or three locations. Okay, yep. So you can have some form of scale to it and then also be able to get data points from uh, a lot of the, the early customers that are in that space because that... Charlotte is what well, I think it's a top ten brewery city now, Ooh. so that's a that's a big city with a small town vibe. Yeah, absolutely. So shift gears for a second. Most founder startup entities at some point in their life cycle go to the capital markets to help raise capital to add fuel to the fire so that the company can grow at a faster clip. What is it like? to what's it been like for you to raise capital yeah so we're we're fairly new to the raising capital side of things we bootstrapped this thing we, we threw in our own money so you started on. 2022 it's now february 1st of 2024 yeah, just, you've kind of run it on your own up to this point in time yeah. but you've had some assistance because at the end of the day it produces cash flow right yeah. and so but now you need more cash flow to scale and grow this market as well as expand into others. Correct. And how we see this is we we view raising capital as a, a means to accelerate our growth, not as a an absolute need that we're dying on a limb, we just need the cash to do whatever, survive. Um, for us, it's like, how do we take two to 12? How do we take 12 to 36? So we're looking at multipliers every time that we do something. And an infusion of capital, we know how we're going to spend the resources. We know where we're going to spend the resources. And we understand that with the partnerships and the demand that we've gotten. And we, we heard this from, I mean, what triggered it for us is actually we heard it from one of our partners. Their CEO, he called us and was like, hey, when is this coming to Chicago? When is it coming to New York? When is it coming to Salt Lake City? And from there, we're like, the demand is there. They want our service there, but let's let's grow and get to the percentage that we want to as a business. But let's also know that, hey, we can actually scale this out. And that's where infusion of capital comes into play. And that will be able to take us a lot further than we see it happening to other businesses at our stage. 
because we do have traction, we are able to build, and then we also uh, are able to, to garner these partnerships and, and get business out there. Biggest hurdle? Biggest hurdle for us has been quickly understanding our capability, but then being able to essentially outsource that as well. So I may be a, an expert at marketing, but is that the best use of my time right now? And that's was one of our challenges going into, I would say, mid-2023. And as we had a few meetings and talked to some advisory as well, I think that's where advisory is important and mentorship is important. Of saying like, hey, this is what we're dealing with mentally. It's not anything that you would see from a standpoint of the business or from the product side of things. It's like we're talking about time. And that's where we actually set in on this thing, time boxing. So we started time boxing our time saying, hey, we're going to spend 5% on this. We're going to spend 75% on this. And this is why we're going to do it. So understanding the why behind it, it was like, okay, we'll, we'll be able to overcome this. What we see as a challenge will be an opportunity for us. You said it earlier, you, you were a likable kid in high school, right? It seems like that's a fair statement to make, Chance. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with it. You've been a likable person post-school, right? Like you kind of light up a room. You can just kind of tell it being in the room with you right now and seeing you out and about in general. But raising capital and even running a startup, you, you hit, I don't want to say negative feedback. You just hit pushback, right? You, you hear no you you hear that in you know in, in uh, layman's terms you hear that your baby's ugly and that's tough for somebody that has always been liked how have how's that relationship between like and nose come along as you built a startup as well as started to raise capital yeah so for us and i could probably speak for my co-founder as well we've dealt with adversity from an early age up until now and this is not your general adversity we can go back to even school for example my co-founder so he came from grinnell iowa okay. and if you know anything about grinnell college warren buffett and steve jobs are on like the board of trustees okay so that gives you an idea of what kind of technology he had access to in like elementary school yeah and he he's that guy i think what they say now is like yo you're the goat like yeah. he, he's the goat and I give him a lot of credit because he came to our town of Virginia, had to learn a lot of different things socially because Iowa looks a lot different than Roanoke, Virginia. Yeah. And then when he was in school, his mom had to fight for him to get into like governor school because they, they didn't want him there. Like what his image was, was not something that was typically going to be in, in gov school. Yep. And same thing with me as well. You look at school and like extracurricular activities. I did well in school and it was like, how are you really good at this? And then also really good at that. And it was always the questioning aspect of things. And it's no different now where what I'm barely six foot and you play high level collegiate basketball or my co-founder, he's been able to, to build all these amazing things and get to where he has in life. And people are telling you no all day long. And that's one of the things is like, I hear no, and I just try to take a gem from it. So again, that within that no, there may be some validity within it, but it also may be, be based off their experience. We don't have the same experience in life. So I take it for what it is and I use it as a tool to be able to leverage our business later on or help me personally. Cause I say this statement all the time is that personal and professional are intertwined. So if you're struggling with something in your personal life, you're probably gonna struggle with it professionally. So the, the quicker you can get over it and really understand what's happening, it'll help you in the long run. So <laughs> then you take the negatives and just roll, let it roll off the back. It helps to have a co-founder that has been, that's also had negatives thrown out where y'all can just kind of say, hey, what is this, this, all right, let's time, right? You can, you can hash it out for five minutes and then it's easier to hurdle over it. And all right, but well, that's another one in the books and we're off and running. So you mentioned advisory earlier. Do you have an advisory board or you have mentors or how do you, how do you deal with some of that? Yeah. So we have some advisory currently on the technical side of things and also on the strategic uh, side of things. But what we did during that phase, so I, that actually took us a while to put together and we're still in the process of, of adding to that. But we wanted to get people that actually knew us and also trusted that we could do it yep. because we have a vision of 
how this will work and what this will look like, but we would love for people to come in with their expertise. So they may have expertise because they got to experience something that we didn't get to experience. And I think that's where advisory is very key. And even mentorship, for example, I don't see mentorship as a, let me throw 30 minutes on William's calendar and you're my mentor. It's like, Hey, I can text you at, at midnight when I'm up actually thinking about an idea or I'm, I have a long night where I'm working and I'm up till 4 a.m. and I shoot you a message. And I'm saying you should send me a message back, but uh, if you send me a message back when you wake up and you're like, hey, Chance, that's, I see what you're thinking about. Let's hop on a call at some point. Yeah. Um, and being able to guide that person in the right way. And I don't think mentorship is about age or race or anything like that. It's more so of like, is your walk of life different than this person? And can you add value to that, to that person? So, okay. So you text me at midnight. Most nights, I'm not responding. I'll get back to you the next morning, though. Okay. So, Perfect. Yeah. The very few businesses are original concepts, right? Most businesses are build-offs, expansions, or quite honestly, copycats of something that already exists. So y'all are creating a way for artists to perform in locations, which artists have been performing in locations for thousands of years, right? So how do y'all view competition out there? Like how do you monitor, look at, and uh, copy or um, surpass them as y'all are strategizing about where the business is today versus where it needs to go in the future? Yeah, so there, there are other players in the space, but they're more focused on traditional sense of music. So historically, music has been in like venues and been in events or like the event planning side of things. Yep. And it's been a b- very manual process, focus on higher margin opportunities. So it's never been any really true technology in the space. And that's what we're providing, but we're not focused on just the music aspect of things. It's more so on like, how does this create like an ambiance or an atmosphere? And when I talk about ambiance and atmosphere, that's everything from the smell of a place, the lighting, the furniture, the decor, you name it. That's what's going to make a space inviting. And what we feel like music does and live music per se is that music speaks a language that words can't speak. So going back to the diversity of people and when people come to a brewery to meet, that's not inviting for everyone. But if you have a sound that people can communicate around that makes that conversation go a little bit longer and makes the dollar spend a little bit more and then the engagement is there. And that's where we see ourselves uh, playing in the, the role of spaces. So I would look at something like a, a platform that was focused on booking spaces. And there are some platforms out there that are booking spaces and they're raising $40 million. Um, But when you look at how you activate that space, that's what we're, what we're focused on. And how do you quickly spin up these experiences for individuals? So we're running up on no time, right? You didn't think we'd make it to 50 minutes, man. We would <laughs> blow not, right past 50 it. minutes. <laughs> so let's talk technology for a second. Where's the technology today and where does it need to go? Yeah, so we've actually built a website okay. uh, that facilitates the opportunity for not only musicians to sign up, but also for users to use the service. So for our listeners, it is? Yeah, gonow.com. Fair enough. Go there. You can try it. Uh, if you're a business, there's a space for you. If you're a musician, there's a space for you as well. Okay. Um, we have it under providers. Do you currently. screen out musicians like me that can't sing or play? Music is all preference, William. <laughs> Somebody's going to like you. I don't think <laughs> Somebody's going to like you. Trust me. Uh, <laughs> and here's the thing. Sometimes, let's say it's a venue. Yeah. If you can bring 100 people or 1,000 people, you can sit up there and not say anything. Yeah, They'll true. be happy to have you. Yeah. <laughs> so you're at gonow.com. Uh, currently and where apps coming yep so the app is on the way we are building it out on ios first and then we're going to roll out like web and android after that and that will be so launch times as we go throughout the course of this year yep so we're looking to have that out before the end of q1 okay so very exciting for us it's it's been a long time coming because this is our 2.0 product we launched the mvp prior and just based off of the interest that we have currently, the way that we're migrating people over to the technology, it gives us a, an ability to really, I've been using scale a lot, but really scale out what we're doing and accelerate that growth farther, further than what we've, we've done in this last quarter of 2023. So two last questions for you. One's going to be on how do you know when you go to the next market, right? Mm-hmm. So, but press pause on that because you've got a co-founder that you've known since sixth grade 
And what's what's it like for y'all to to run this company for somebody that you've known for that long, right? Like how did how do y'all interact? Talk a little bit about because that the team is so important, right? So how do y'all take this and build it to the next level? And how well do y'all work together? That's that's family to me. And it's not family in a sense of we have. Say, a, hopefully, it's not like some people's family, right? <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's not like family in the sense of a, a bad relationship. This is like family where we're very transparent. We've been through it all together. Yeah, we're going through things currently, uh, and we will probably always go through something. And for us, we've always stuck together through it. Uh, we've been each other's support system. I would say that was my first therapist. <laughs> so uh, it's been it's been a great journey and I'm looking forward to doing even more. I, I just say now we always talk about it like, Hey, this is just the beginning. Yeah. yeah we're, we're just getting started. We're gonna have to get him on the podcast <laughs> to talk about what's your first therapy session was like. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so that's awesome. I mean, it's, it, uh, cause it's not a smooth, it's not always a smooth and it's never a smooth ride. Right. Like to have that ability to be transparent, to be open and to know each other well enough dating back to first therapy sessions that is sometimes it just requires hashing out and hashing out isn't always pleasant. And to then be able to walk back in the door the next day and, and get back to work. Mm -hmm. So how do you know when to go to the next space, right? Like ultimately you're going to raise capital, you're going to put fuel on the fire and you're going to grow this thing to be a successful enterprise. Part of that requires being successful in Charlotte and honing, what it needs in this space so that you can then replicate it in future spaces. But part of it is, is not waiting too long to go to the next space. So how do y'all, how do y'all view that expansion into further terrains? Yeah. I'm, I'm always fo focused on not how we get to the pie or get the whole pie. It's like, how do we get a piece of the pie? Yeah. And for us, we have numbers internally on a percentage that we want to get to through not only our partnerships, but also from a user standpoint as well. And with that, we know that if we get to that percentage and when we get to that percentage, then we'll be able to get this in another market. Our last quarter we did, I think it was 42 transactions through our platform. Okay, We've had over 150 experiences through GoNow throughout the lifetime of it. And we're, we're like I said, we're just scratching the surface. We're just getting started with the technology being released. We have a new site that's going to be launched next week. Okay. This is something that people are, are going to be like, wow, I didn't know it was that easy. And that's the feedback that we hear from everybody. Okay. And so for our listeners, that new product will be announced for release for y'all. It'll be, it'll be last week because we'll release this thing out in two weeks. Right. <laughs> so, well, man, it's been awesome. I've thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. Obviously we've had a chance to talk a couple of times over the course of the last couple of months leading up to this. You're building out a great product experience. It seems like more, the more people I talk to these days, the more people are talking about experience, right? And y'all fit so well into that space. And especially when you think about what corporates, like you think about um, the world at large trying to get people back out, right? They're trying to get them back into the office. They're trying to get them back into this. They're trying to get them to do this. And music, as you know, is such a great way to pull those people and tie them together. It's a fantastic place to sit. Yeah, no, it's we're at the, the intersection of connectivity and accessibility that has not been there previously. And yeah. we want to create a, an inclusive environment for, for all. So we're excited about it. So we're going to end on a, on a very light note. You mentioned it a few minutes ago. You don't want the whole pie. You just want a piece of the pie. If somebody was to want to give Chance a, a symbolic gesture, what type of pie would that be? Are we going with pecan? Or are we going with pumpkin? Or are we going like a like a key lime? What would you go with? So I would, I would do like maybe half key lime, half sweet potato pie. Ooh, sweet potato. Good call. Yeah. I'm so, a little country. Okay. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'll, I'll, I'll have the other half of the key lime that they don't give you. I'll take the second half. That's, that's, for, that's for my friends and my co-founders. Yes. <laughs> so Chance has been awesome, man. So thanks so much for sitting down with us. Uh, best of luck building the business and, and taking it from here to there. And we look forward to watching it happen. Sounds great. Thank you. Lead the Citizen Owner of and an investment advisor representative of Portis Wealth Advisors, a registered investment advisor. 
registration does not imply a certain level of skill or training. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Portis Wealth Advisors. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Portis Wealth Advisors does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance. Investments described herein may be speculative and may involve a substantial risk of loss. Interest may be offered only to persons who qualified as accredited investors under applicable state and federal regulation or an eligible employee of the management company. There generally is no public market for the interest. Prospective investors should particularly note that many factors affect performance, including changes in the market conditions and interest rates, and other economic, political, or financial developments. Past performance is not and should not be construed as indicative of future results.